0: hey guys so sorry for the delay in episodes i know the last one we had talked about the predictions for wrestle kingdom 13 and then it's been a dead silence <laughs> between life schedule issues work love life um and being sick in between you know and not gonna lie a little bit of laziness into it as well um haven't recorded an episode. It's been a while. Been trying to get up with some decent ideas, though. Instead of just me doing a solo show every single week, thought of maybe something a little bit different for this week. So, in collaboration with my friends Randall and Will, we took a couple, couple days, a little, almost a week, to really plan this whole thing out to where, what you guys are about to hear, is uh, about a week's worth of ideas that we floated around, and so we decided to uh, come up with something different. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Monday Night War. Now, I know you guys that are listening to this have probably known about the Monday Night War for years, dissected it, learned about it, researched it, watched documentaries, listened to podcasts about it. So we try to give you a little bit different take instead of kind of doing what everybody else did and talked about the same issues or stuff like that. Of course, there's some things you just can't not talk about um, that baby. Be repeated for um, other people. So, um, from a pure fan's perspective, we talked about a few different things that maybe you have or haven't heard um, from fans and wrestlers and people that were behind the scenes during those time frames of 1995 to 2001, which, of course, were the years for the Midnight War. Um, in this episode, Will takes the side of WWF WWE. And I take the side for WCW, my passion of WCW, the mark that I am for WCW. Have um, my good friend Randall, Randall, I think that's more of a W than an R, Randall, excuse me. Have um, my friend Randall be the moderator for this, came up with a few questions for us. Um, And then after that, Will and I just kind of went back and forth with uh, questions and even gave Randal a few opportunities there to share his opinions and stuff like that into it. So hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Um, Like I said, a little bit something different this week instead of an easy solo show of uh, reviewing 205 Live or reviewing shows, especially Wrestle Kingdom, stuff like that. Um, They're definitely in the month that we haven't done something, month and a half that a couple big things have happened. The Royal Rumble just happened. We're on the road to WrestleMania. All Elite Wrestling is really gathering their roster up and announced their couple dates that they're doing for a couple shows or at least the one show. And they've mentioned a second show that they have not released a date for. And so a lot of things to talk about for sure. I may do a couple solo shows um, here and there to kind of get this, of course, revitalized more of a consistent thing instead of hit or miss. You got to do a better job at uh, keeping you guys updated on the social media platforms as well um which of course you can like us at beyond the curtain wrestling podcast on facebook you can find us on spotify beyond the curtain wrestling podcast um anchor of course is our home for recording this but anchor is in collaboration now with spotify so that's pretty cool um you can find us on google Podcasts, apple podcast um, stitcher all sorts of different various platforms you can find favorite podcasts and of course you can follow us on twitter at beyond the curtain and there is no o in beyond so beyond without the o beyond the curtain where we will try to do my best to get better updates you know uh keep you guys informed of what's going on there is at the very end of this episode um towards the end credits where when I kind of wrap up, there is a huge announcement regarding a second type of debate that we're going to be doing that is going to be a lot more intense. And I will kind of recap that at the end of this episode. So I hope you guys enjoy this and you guys, um, give me feedback on Facebook give me um, feedback on Twitter. Let me know how you guys liked it. If you didn't like it, what you would like to see in the future, what you wouldn't like to see in the future. Um, your feedback is vital to the success and not success of this show. Um, but of course, uh, you know I'm not looking for hundreds or thousands of dollars in in profits of getting this episode. I'm just a pure wrestling fan, have been since I was two weeks old, and that's not a lot. You can ask my parents and my family, my friends that know me for a long time. Uh, just a pure wrestling fan that just loves to talk about and share about wrestling. You know, I'm not trying to get this thing um, to the likes of 83 weeks or you know what happened when. Um, talk is Jericho. Keep it 100 with Conan, nothing like that, a Bust Open Radio, just trying to do something that I enjoy, it's a hobby, and I love talking about wrestling, so I um, appreciate you guys, I appreciate you guys for listening, tuning in, for sharing this, for, for collaborating with me, for giving me some ideas, um, and giving me feedback, so I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode with Randall, Will, and myself as we discuss the Monday Night Wars, but... All right Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the newest and most exciting episode of Beyond the Curtain. Hopefully got a really interesting show lined up for you guys tonight as we're recording this uh, early Sunday morning. hopefully we can get this thing up Sunday afternoon Sunday evenings that way. You guys have a little bit of time to digest this before watching any of your new editions of uh, Wrestling throughout the week. We're all SmackDown, 205 Live, all that good stuff. Um, This edition of Beyond the Curtain is going to be a very, very, very cool and interesting one. got a really cool episode lined up featuring a debate argument, discussion about the Monday Night War. I've got myself... You already know who I am, Cody. Going to be representing kind of the WCW kind of side of things. I know you guys have, have, have watched, heard, read all sorts of stuff about the Monday Night War stuff, but I thought it would be a cool idea uh, to kind of get something a little bit different on the on the podcast, and I've got a cool show with um, some guests here lined up, um, including which got my man who's going to be kind of hopefully representing the WWE side of it um, or more of a devil's advocate side of it guy that's very near and dear to the heart and souls of uh, Outlaw Sports Network and has been featured on plenty of other podcasts. Well, my man who knows how to thrill, is joining us here tonight. Welcome, welcome, sir. Thank you. It's good to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. And we got my boy Randall Beatley. He's going to be moderating this wonderful occasion. Um, going to be hitting us with a couple questions, a couple things to kind of get the argument, the discussion set up. It's going to be really fun. So, Randall, welcome, and thanks for the... For the moderation, I guess of the uh, of this whole idea.
1: Yeah, not a problem.
0: Yeah, not a problem. So, so casual. I appreciate that. Thanks for not being modest. <clears throat> um, but yeah. So, really, I have no uh, no guidelines for this. I don't think we really have any kind of guidelines. Just kind of, Randall, kind of do whatever he wants to do. If he has any questions, open up kind of discussion. I think we'll go. You know, hopefully, we'll try to be take turns, but it may end up being a little. Little uh, off the rails, a little bit crazy in the middle of it. So, kind of hoping for a cool discussion and debate. So, without further ado, I'll let you take it
1: away, Randall Bealy. All right, all right. So, um, we'll we'll get started with this. So, um, if you're anything like me, uh, growing up and didn't really know much about WCW and wasn't really until I met like Cody until. Uh, I learned a lot about it, and so the Monday Night Ore is something that while I lived somewhat through it, didn't necessarily I didn't know about it. So, Cody being a WCW mark that he is, um, <laughs> the question for you, and, I, and, and Will can put his part on in it as well, is what made Nitro so good that it beat Raw in the TV ratings for majority of 1996, all of 97, and the first half of 98.
0: I'll be the mark. I'll start out. Um, it it was the shock value of television that WCW had what WWF didn't have and that was Shock TV. Um you didn't know what was happening uh, you know one week to the next on Nitro. Um you know first episode opened up with Lex Luger appearing. Um and then you had fast forward that to about 7 months later and yeah Scott Hall show up, Kevin Nash show up, the hostile takeover. You had Bash at the Beach 96 that led to the heel turn of Hulk Hogan. Um Put that where one great storyline fed right into another, where Sting felt felt, uh, betrayed by his friends, where the NWO set up a fake Sting and had uh, that Sting attack all the WCW guys, and basically made Sting believe that his friends didn't trust him. That led to fall of 96, where the fake Sting showed up as Team NWO. People thought, well, this is is the real Sting. He's turned heel. He's now joining the NWO. And then the real Sting came out, beat everybody up, and then walked out. And then the next night on Nitro, walked out, and that created a whole new storyline. So it was just they had a lot of great creative decisions up until that point. And another kind of quick thing, caveat to it. They just had, in my opinion, better matches. They they did a great job with taking some of the stars from Japan, from Mexico, from ECW, cruiserweights, filling up that undercard, creating great matches. The main events, honestly, on Nitro were not great or very long, but they didn't need to be because people were so riled up to begin with that they just wanted to see the NWO lose or get beat up. Or if they're NWO fans, they just want to see the WCW guys get beat up. And then at the end of this, towards ninety six, ninety seven, 97, they just want to see Sting come in and just tear the house down. Um, and but, but the Cruiserweights definitely had a very big implement part of that. So it was Shock TV. It was great storylines. It was great creative and great Cruiserweights. Uh, great matches on the other card, for sure. And I guess for, uh, for Will,
1: from what... Uh from what I'm assuming is you're not the biggest, I guess, WCW fan more supporting the WWE more, more like me, you know, grew up watching the WWE mostly Um, around the same time period. Would you say WWE was as entertaining as
2: WCW, the way Cody would say WCW was entertaining? So um, two real quick points. First off, I didn't even start watching wrestling until 2012. And so I spent the past seven years playing catch-up, watching as many documentaries and stuff as possible. So I've kind of gotten a a bird's-eye view of what happened rather than watching as it unfolded. Um, And to kind of play off of what Cody said, I, I think WCW had the advantage of household names that people had been familiar with for a long time. So anybody who was still trying to watch wrestling from the 80s saw Hogan, saw Macho Man, Saw Sting, saw Luger, and, you know, eventually the, you had you know, DiBiase, you had Rude, you had um, Rhodes. So it was faces while WWE from 96, 95 to 98 was in a rebuilding year. Well, they were trying to create these new, new bigger-than-life stars, and, you know, it was hard for people to connect with a Michaels or a Triple H or austin until you know they had their big breakout moments so for that for those you know two years two and a half years it was a struggle for them meanwhile wcw had the old fans hooked and of course when you get old fans you get their kids too and the kids are watching the new stuff so it makes sense but i think what wc what WWE had what w didn't have is young stars who they were willing to put investment into I think as the de- the years went on, WCW started leaning more towards the older stars. And it was showed, bringing back Piper, having Piper versus Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Um, and they like, leaned too much on the um, Hall and Nash angle and less on the cruiserweights to where the cruiserweights are being made into kind of a joke a little bit. Um, and meanwhile, the WWE is now building into michaels and building in the triple h and you know while austin wasn't young he was a new face and then you had angle and jericho and they so much weight on them and so much focus that they were able to build brand new stars that the crowd was for rather than oh we have success over here with these older stars let's you know put everything back on them and so while WWE wasn't interesting and wasn't really dynamic at first from like ninety five to ninety six ish, once ninety seven hit, they were able to kind of build some stuff leading into ninety eight and then ninety eight was the switch.
1: All right, Cody, any uh any rebuttal to what you just said?
0: <clears throat> I mean that definitely had some some very valid and great points. <clears throat> um I definitely agree with the old fast set of of fans who still had their stars that they enjoyed watching, Hogan, Piper, um, Flair, Luger, the Steiner brothers, um, you know, those household names that built wrestling up in the 80s and then translated into the mid-90s that were still around, it definitely created a lot of buzz, um, Savage being one of them as well. Um, You know, and, and... While uh, WWE was definitely in those rebuilding years from 95 to 96, a little bit of 97 to establishing new stars, um, you know, and and pushing the ones that were a mainstay for a while, like Taker, um, Michaels, stuff like that. Um, You know, they – it was very close for them to to closing doors for sure, just because of just how – badly they're getting beat and just how there wasn't a whole lot of money being flowed into the company, but, you know, got to give, you know, kudos mm-hmm. to, me, to Vince to knowing that he had to create new stars. Eventually, you know, had to push the envelope a lot more, but uh, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later, but, um, you know, WCW did not, <laughs> did not have homegrown talent, you could you could say Sting was one of them since he was under the NWA Jim Crockett banner that led into the acquisition and then WCW. So he was one. Um, Luger, in a way, was one, but then he went to the WWF for a couple of years and then came back. Um, it wasn't really until 99, 2000 when it was almost way too late to get people pushing through the power plant and then establish him into uh into the main roster were like uh the natural born thrillers chronic uh, mia um to uh, Team Canada with Elux skipper kiwi uh, um three count stuff you know just definitely a lot more names you really don't know much of now if any but you know it was way too late for wwe to kind of make new talent and push that to to, to, to new fans but um so, yeah, you know, generally, I I do would uh I do would agree with that with just about everything Will said.
1: All right, so this one one more question I just thought of uh, before we get to the main the main debate uh, discussion here. And, um, to me, to understand, I think truly the full aspect of the Monday Night Wars, you have to know the whole history of. McMahon and Turner, going all the way back to the '80s when Turner basically said, "We're not airing WWE as long as you're on USA," and off, and McMahon chose USA and was upset that Turner pulled um, his product off of the Superstation. Do you think that that, I guess, quote unquote, beginning of that rivalry is what fueled McMahon to? Ultimately, want to defeat WCW. Um,
0: yes and no. Um, I think even now, not trying to get you know too off top off, off off topic, but 2005 when TNA went to Spike TV, um, created great competition. You know, AEW in 2019, who knows what station they air on. If they land on Turner, then, boy, it'd be just this whole thing all over again, just about. Um, But I I think Vince knew that competition was needed to help the sport grow. Um, But at the same time, you got two pretty massive egos with McMahon and Turner uh, building basically for television supremacy. Whereas, you know, once Turner threw Vince off the air on TBS, Vince had NBC um, with not only NBC, but USA that fell under the NBC. Well, not really under the NBC branch, but at least he had NBC for superstars for Saturday, um, for, uh, Saturday night's main event. And then once 93 turned, then of course he went to USA Network for Raw. Um, but with Turner, I think it was the whole – aspect of not only did he need to fill original programming, which would you know, he had WCW Saturday night, but once he really saw how Vince was controlling the cable scheme of things with Raw and how great it was doing in prime time on a weeknight, that if he's only this wrestling company, he wants to be just as successful, if not more successful. And you know, I don't know if it was more so of a Turner McMahon feud as it was a Bischoff McMahon feud. That's a thing a lot of people I think don't look at a whole lot is maybe not, maybe maybe some hardcore wrestling fans will will say it was Bishop McMahon, but for a general scheme of things, if you were to ask a casual fan back in the 90s, or the the casual sports fan who tuned in to watch wrestling just because it was a cool thing to watch back then, um, it it probably would have said, oh, that's a Turner Network versus a Vince McMahon type thing. It's a McMahon versus Turner. Business standpoint, for sure it was. But I think at the core of it, it was more of a McMahon Bischoff thing, even though Bischoff wasn't Turner. He wasn't putting the show on a network or anything like that. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was more of a Turner McMahon thing, especially into the mid to late nineties, just because of what Bischoff was pulling off, and then it kind of flipped over to head of the company on television versus head of company on television not owner of a company versus owner of a company so to speak so um but i definitely think that they both had a part in it for sure especially in the late 80s early 90s where um you know if if it wasn't for a few then the monday night war would have never started turner saw how good vince was doing on monday nights and he wanted to match that see if wcw was ready to compete if wcw Could match up with that, and he didn't like the fact that you know somebody else was dominating the cable ratings um, on a primetime weeknight. So, you know, definitely, definitely had a feud of some sort there based off their egos.
2: Well, I think, for in my opinion, this is just speculation. I think to the public, Vince will say that he loves competition, that competition's best for business, so to speak, but. I think in himself from just right around the time with his father losing control of the company and giving it to him to taking over the territories, I think Vince hates competition. I think his ego is so much that he needs to be on top that he'll do whatever it takes to get rid of competition and seeing somebody who can actually compete with him financially um, with the, you know, the ability to stretch his product to do different things he wants to do. I don't think he saw him as an equal fighting an equal. I think he was just determined to do whatever it took to, sh- to shut him down. And he did that with all the territories. Um, he, eventually he pretty, I mean, he did it with ECW and he would eventually do it with TNA where, I mean, yeah, it's still open, but he takes all their stars and that, that's what he does. You know, if you think about it, if he really thought competition was best, he would have would leave certain stars at a certain company let them stay there let's see how they do instead you know let's offer them as much money as possible you know and let's try to you know oversell them at this location or let's make sure they can't get to this certain location um i think he just he wants to be the only wrestling show um in town and i think when he finds that Turner is able to compete with him, I think it just instead of makes him want to fight, he makes him want to destroy. I don't think he wants to see a equality battle. He wants to see him dominate and nobody else. Um, a lot of people say that he likes, you know, working with this and these other companies like NJPW right now. I think in his heart of hearts, if he could, he'd shut down them all.
1: Any argument against that, Cody?
0: I, I can see that point for sure. Um, I, I definitely see that. Of course, you know, it's always up to a talent to decide where they want to go. And especially in these days, we see that not everybody accepts WWE contracts, but, um, you know, back then, you know, it, just like you said, you know, there was only real uh, the territories happened and then they all died. And it was just two big guys, WCW and WWF. Um, sure, New Japan was out there doing their stuff or All Japan was out there doing their stuff. But for the general broad scheme of things, it was Monday Night Battle, WCW versus WWE. Um, And, you know, I think that in a way I could see that, but I feel like in a way maybe Turner had the same philosophy to a certain extent because you look back at 94 – When Flair came over, and then when Hogan came over, Savage came over, 95, Luger came over. Um, Those are four big stars from an old WWF era that, sure, maybe WWE didn't even need them anymore and didn't really care to see them go away. But that's when Turner really started cutting out the checkbook and was writing lucrative contracts Putting in creative control, you know, and then 96 rolls around. You got Hall, you got Nash, Sixpock joined the fray, DiBiase joined the fray, um, Rude came later. So, I mean, and then eventually Hart, you know, in 97. But, um, you know, I, I think that to a certain extent, Vince's ego now maybe kind of was fueled off of what happened in the past, and I think Turner was kind of in that same philosophy where, of course, Turner never put out any territories you know, that we know of. It wasn't... Of course, he was not a... He was a wrestling fan. He wasn't a wrestling fan to where he expo- exponentially knew the business. It was just the fact that he loved wrestling, wanted it on his cable network, had it on his cable network. It did so well for him successfully, uh, monetary value-wise, so he kept it on there. But... I think once once you saw these contracts come out, and I think that's really when the turning point started um, was when you see these contracts being laid out by Turner and Bischoff that a lot of people were like, well, I can either make a lot of money in WCW or I could stay here at WWE in 95 to 97 where business was not doing so great. Um, you know, there was a couple of different people that thought about leaving just for the money aspect of it and who could blame them. But you see it now today, where uh, Vincent Tigo is pretty big now, and, and um, he loves to buy out people, so that way they don't have to. He doesn't have to worry about them going in. That, that's where I could definitely agree with Will's. They're afraid of the competition part because he'll he'll try to sign them as to a lucrative deal as possible, just so he doesn't have to worry about losing money business wise to a, for example, a Kenny Omega. Now he's in AEW, still doing some New Japan stuff. I don't know about ROH, but he's going to lose a little bit of money on that because he knows now he's got another player with the con family of how much money they have, how much money they can make based off of this. So um, I don't necessarily disagree with, with, with what's Will said for sure, but um, I could see a little bit of what's happening now being fueled of what happened 20-plus years ago.
2: Before we go on to the next question, it almost seems like the more – if you look at him from when he first started with the company, like taking it over right at the beginning of the 80s, every time he had a big success, it fueled his ego to where it it became less about competition and more about dominance to where it's hard to kind of see how he's able to give out all these really big contracts and just like, hey, instead of – Offering people like good opportunities and new, you know, plans and stuff. Okay, we're going to use you here. We're going to do this. It's I'm going to shovel a bunch of money towards you and let's just hope you stay with the company. You know, you look at somebody like uh, Mike Bennett and Maria Canellis, You know, everybody was kind of hyped when they got signed and they have literally done nothing. And they just kind of sat in the back. You know, um, I think the only reason he used AJ is because I think the crowd would have lost their minds if AJ got signed, appeared, and did nothing. Um, And then you look at NXT kids. I mean, they get signed, and they love it down there. And as soon as they get to the main roster, I think there's a little bit of vindictiveness behind Vince. He brings them up, and he doesn't use them. And I think he sees NXT is getting a lot of popularity. And I think because he's won so many battles with other companies and other people, he doesn't need to fight anymore. He has enough, he's a big enough paycheck. He can write people off. So he sees now he has competition with his own son-in-law. He only needs to do is sign him a contract to the main roster, place him up there and have them sit for a couple of years. And that is why we're, we're in the situation we're in where a Dean Ambrose is ready to leave the company. He doesn't – Vince does not need to see – Vince has no need to compete anymore, so he doesn't need to up his game. He doesn't need to prove to anybody anything.
1: All right. All good points. Um, I do want to just mention – Cody mentioned um, the the style differences and that Turner was a wrestling fan, a more, you know, southern. um, That term in the south down here is – very common, wrestling, um, whereas McMahon being a northerner was more into gimmicky characters. And my actually, I was just re, no, re, re, re-watching some of the Monday Night War documentary, and my favorite quote was McMahon talking, saying he got a call from Turner saying, hey, McMahon, I'm in the wrestling business now. McMahon was like, oh, well, we're in a different business. Um, So I think the philosophies were completely different in how McMahon viewed Turner and how Turner viewed McMahon. With that said, this is the main question. Looking back at it 20-plus years later, who really won the Monday Night War? Cody, I feel I know where you're going with WCW. I have you? I'll have you start. Did they win it, or is there a winner? What do you? Uh, what's your thoughts?
0: <clears throat> um, people who listen to this podcast, first of all, are going to say, "Are you stupid? We already know who won. What kind of question is this?" Um, but <laughs> more of a hypothetical situation, more so, and maybe there's some truth to it as well. But um, uh, in the end, of course, Vince. One, you know, um, but <clears throat> I view it as in a way WCW, in a way, one as well. Not only in this aspect that they got bought out by somebody who was in the wrestling business, so their legacy, as you see now, is carried on forever with the WWE network. WCW content is on there. Um, because there's still a lot of hardcore fans like myself who appreciated through its major flaws, how great WCW was and how vital it was to where we're at now in the wrestling industry. Um, also a lot of great big stars came from WCW. Um, some of them, of course, maybe not had some great careers (laughs) in WWE, Goldberg being one of them, even if he won a couple championships, his, his WWE career is basically forgotten. Um, Booker T did very well for himself um, and to name a few, but you look at WCW back in the heyday between 96 and 98, and it can, it can be argued that Kevin Nash was a much bigger star in WCW than he was in WWF. Scott Hall as great as the Razor Ramon character was, was almost as big as he was in WCW versus WWF. Uh, Hogan, for sure, in my opinion, he helped this wrestling boom in the 80s. He carried it on into the 90s. He revitalized his character, turning heel. To me, he was a bigger star in the 90s than he was in the 80s. Um, you You didn't see... And, of course, with the Nielsen rating, you got to be very skeptical with it because it is a very kind of flawed system. You weren't seeing 5.0s in the 80s. You were seeing 5.0s in the early 90s. You didn't start seeing 5.0s until late 97, 98 into 99. And with the the help of the NWO, with the help of Sting being that anti-hero vigilante, amazing character that he was to battle the NWO, and then you had this phenomenon called Goldberg, and then you had the uh, breakup of the NWO, but the NWO Wolfpack was so hot in, in itself. Um, there was a lot of great things about WCW that is carried on to today. And um, like I said, it still in a way has some sort of claim of victory. It helped WWE basically bring itself from the brink of death it brought out the best of Vince McMahon. It took Vince McMahon's best shot to maintain control of the wrestling or a, a business. Um, if it wasn't for Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff and the Nitro format, Vince would have never, you know, had to up the ante and get more risky and do the things he had to do to win the war. Um, Basically, Vince took the Nitro formula and turned the dial up to 10 and did it better. That's why he ultimately won, and WCW had a lot of problems that <clears throat> caused it to not succeed. Whether it was the creative control contracts, whether it was the lucrative deals, the, the, less, the limited scheduling causing people to not care, not show up as much, whether it was... The suits and ties, the executives up in Turner saying late ninety seven, early ninety-eight, that they wanted to be a little bit more family friendly, um, thus causing standard and practices to be a lot more strict, causing ankles to be worse. Um, whether it was Vince Russo being Vince Russo and putting the final nails in the coffin of WCW, um there's a lot of flaws to it, for sure. It was definitely not a perfect company. WWE, I think, even in its bad times, it was still a very well-oiled machine. Uh, you know. Whereas WCW, on the outside, it looked great because of what the product was doing, how great business was doing. But on the inside, there was a lot of holes in there that just hadn't reared its ugly head yet. But um, you know, I, I think that in the end, of course, Vince won. WWE won. They're still here, uh, but at the same time, the legacy can never be forgotten of WCW, and I think that it, in a way, it won, just be the sheer fact of it created such the biggest wrestling boom it's ever seen, um, revitalized some old people's characters and livelihoods, and made new stars in some ways, um,
2: and the legacy still lives on today. So, I think I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to go say the WCW won, technically. Uh, I'm still on the side of WWE, and I'll still support it. But if you look at what happens with WWE right after the war's end, I think they they shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, because they had to keep ramping up their intensity to beat WCW. They beat WCW, and then they realized they can't keep that intensity. You know, you still have fans to this day calling for that era to come back, that time period to come back, and those wrestlers come back, and they realize they can't deliver that any longer. Not with, you know, with the the viewership going down and the PG rating that has been locked in, they realize they can't go back to that era, and they've lost a whole generation of fans due to that. Um They they were so focused on pushing the envelope, pushing the bar, that when it came down to it, their wrestling focus was, was skewed. Anybody who's looked back at old wrestling matches from the 90s realizes that WCW focused on wrestling, while WWE didn't. WWE gave wrestlers like five minutes, usually, and it was more about story, story, story. WCW allowed wrestlers to wrestle. And so when the dust settles and the war is over and you're just left with your wrestling, WWE doesn't have a whole lot. Yeah, for from 2002 to 2007 or 2008, they have some really good matches. But once you get past 2008, it starts falling off until um, certain indie stars start popping up, and then it starts getting better. However, I will say WWE did win by getting those superstars and getting the dream matches that we never thought we would have and getting um, some larger-than-life characters that got to bring some old fans back in and then make it so, like, WrestleMania in itself was always going to be better. And I think that was always going to be a bigger draw. And when you bring in stars like Hogan back and you bring in Sting now and you've got um, Big Show and all these things your eyes are now going to be going back that way because you're going to see, you're like, okay, so WWE now has Big Show. What are they going to do with Big Show? Let me watch that. Same with Jericho. And I think they won in that sense. They were able to get all these stars and then take them further than WCW ever could. And that wasn't WCW's fault. It was just the opportunity they had was limited. Alright. Um
1: I don't have any more questions. Um uh, so uh Cody, uh guess you can end it if you want or bring up any final arguments y'all have about about the war, any comments you have about Monday Night War in and of itself. Um I'll let y'all end it how y'all want to.
0: Um well, do you have any kind of closing final thoughts regarding um, not only the conversation tonight,
2: but um, anything else you kind of want to add? I think one of the biggest beefs I have with WCW is the vanilla midgets. Um, <laughs> the term, I think it's still carried on to this day. You go through any comment thread on NXT or uh, WWE talking about 205 Live and it's all you see these fans pop up with that and I know it was Nash who said it and I think instead of deflating that and proving that they aren't this that the cruiserweights and any smaller quicker stars aren't just this bland you know fill in between the big stars and the you know the jobbers I think that because they didn't do that I think that was Awful of them. I think that was a, a failed attempt to, you know, make people laugh, and I think it damaged the reputation of cruiserweights all around the world. Because you, you, any old school fan who still tries to watch to this day will always call cruiserweights that. Will always see, you know, anybody who's less than two hundred and fifty pounds as this bland guy who's not going to be an Austin or a Hogan or anything like that. Because all they do is. Jump around and fly and stuff like that, and I it, to this day it irritates me because what they you know, they started the cruiserweight division there and it had a good start with Mysterio and Malenko and Jericho and all of them, but then as soon as they get started getting funneled over to WWE, it everything kind of flips on its head, and t- instead of fixing that image, they made it so it felt like. They were the they were the in between part of the show that didn't really have as much weight or clout as anything having to do with the big stars. Yeah, I uh, I, I can't defend that one.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was it was a WCW guy who who said it, but uh, yeah, I. I don't agree with Nash on that at all. Um, Cruiserweights was one of the biggest parts of me liking WCW, and I've always got a soft spot for Cruiserweights, for the high flyers, for this and that, just for the sheer fact of they were entertaining. They helped a kid who watched WCW and loved Sting. It was my favorite wrestler was Sting and Edwards Willby, but I always had a fun with the Cruiserweights. I loved watching Rey Mysterio. I loved watching. The, the psychology of Eddie Guerrero, I loved watching the technician of D. Malenko, Chris Benoit, um, Jericho, Juventud Guerrero, Psychosis, Kidman, you know, and the list goes on and on. Um, those guys really embodied what WCW was for a while. You know, they were the beginning of the show, the middle of the show. You know, how do we get fans to jump out of seats, get ready for the show? Cruiserweights. How do we get fans who are in that middle time frame of the three-hour show get right back into it? Give me a Cruiserweight match. Give me the the Lucha Leap Race, the Mexican-style tag team match where it's tag on the fly. You know, and, yeah, I think Kevin Ash just knew that never in his life could he achieve the kind of match that Cruiserweights could do. Um and when of course, when you're making that kind of money that you can feel like you can say whatever you want and not get reprimanded for it um, but you know, looking back on it today i I think that Nash made a huge mistake saying that, and um definitely the term fidelity is is pretty disrespectful, pretty um just tasteful as far as wrestling is concerned for guys today, back then and today that put their, put their bodies more on the line than a guy like a like a Kevin Ash, was a great athlete in itself, can't put on a decent match, but can never attest to the kind of entertainment that a Cruiserweight could. So I wouldn't say it's bitter per se, because some of those guys will never have world titles versus some of the Cruiserweights did. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it was more of, these guys are sometimes getting more attention than I am because of the way they do things, too. But either way, I really can't defend what Nash said because it was pretty pretty awful, and I don't agree with it anyways.
2: Um, well, then can I get a little controversial about something and ask you your opinion on something? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it seems like, this is just my observation, but coming out of the 90s, a lot of the ex-WCW stars had some serious... Um, personal issues to deal with Um, guys like Scott Hall sting Luger um, all got into some really tough struggles and I don't understand where was there nobody to keep the locker room accountable back then for at least for WCW because a lot of them got into drugs and alcohol and they, they messed up their life a lot of them fixed it in recent you know 10 years past 15 years but why does it seem like WCW had this string of people coming through, especially in the late 90s, that struggle with this stuff?
0: Um, money and success definitely would be one. Um, and, of course, you know, not to, 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 to throw it off, of course, WWE had a few of them as well. But, it, you know, of course, in retrospect to this, it 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 seemed like WCW had a, had a <laughs> more than just a few that that had their fair share of things. Um, <clears throat> for one, WCW had a larger schedule, so they worked almost nearly cut in half of what WWE did on an annual year. So that means more time to themselves, more time to get themselves messed up into trouble. Um, and I, WCW's locker room was nothing like a WWE locker room. There wasn't the sole leader that rallied the troops that, you know, uh, guys like Taker or Austin or Rock or Triple H that were the leaders of the locker room that, you know, stood and accountable for guys. We have a business to go and do. Um, You know, I'm not going to let you F up my opportunity. I'm not going to let you mess up my spot, um, mess up this for us. And would challenge each other to say, hey, I'm going to have the best match on the card. And if you don't agree with that, F you, you prove it to me type of mentality. That wasn't WCW at all. Um, And I think that when you have a lot of that free time that and especially after shows where you're so high on the adrenaline, you go to a hotel bar, you drink a few, you try to unwind as much as possible, but... Um I don't remember the name of the pill, but it was like the strongest type of thing you could ever ask for. I remember listening to an Eric Bischoff podcast where he was um I think it was either Rick Rude or Kurt Hennig or something like that. He was it was after a nitro, they went to a bar, they went to have a few drinks, tried to unwind a little bit before heading up to the hotel room, and he remembers eating, you know, in a booth, sitting with a bunch of guys. One second, he was having a conversation with them. They were lively. He turned around for a minute or whatever, and the next thing he looked, they were flat on their face, basically oozing out of the mouth. And that was because of this pill they took that was a muscle relaxer that basically unwinded them to the point to almost near death. Um, That's a strong thing, and when you have a few wrestlers who carry those around in fanny packs or bags, it's going to get around. And it, it definitely created a very havoc scene for sure. in WCW where guys got suspended, had to leave because of alcohol or drug related issues or died because of it. And, um, if if not in WCW, definitely later on in life too. So, um, (laughs) you know, I, I I don't want to say that it was a lack of self, uh, Self awareness, but WCW was nothing like a WWE. Where sure, they may have had, from what Bischoff says, random drug tests. At the same time, I, I don't think it was, and I don't think WWEs at the time either was that strong. Of course, it was stronger because of the steroid allegation. But um, you know, there wasn't that locker room leader. There was not a Vince McMahon in there. There were not agents like a WWE where they would seek out their talents a the whole day to go over a match or a segment. It would be show up at the building a few hours ahead of time. We'll go over what we need to go over. And then you're free to do whatever you want until showtime type of thing. I've even seen in, in, in the book that I'm reading now um, called Nitro, which basically puts a great take on the whole history of the of WCW. There was a time where a turner executive or a couple executives would be walking into the backstage area of WCW Nitro and would see a few of the boys Kevin Nash included Scott Hall included Conan and a few others drinking wine or champagne in the locker room before the show even starts so if that kind of <laughs> brings up a little bit of a point that there was not much of a you know, balance there. Then I don't know what does.
2: I guess my question then is, why didn't they have, you know, a locker room leader? Because I mean, yeah, WW had Taker and Austin and a couple of the older guys, who you know, notoriously throughout, you know, anytime you look into that kind of stuff, they they had like court, little little wrestler courts, and they had um, things to keep people accountable to their actions. But you had WCW had Sting and hogan and flair and macho man and yeah they had their own personal issues but it, it does there's a weird disconnect between people around the same age in two different companies doing two different things and you would think at least like hogan and flair would be like guys i we're let's rally this together it almost seems like as the focus in wcw started leaning more towards the flares and the hogan's and the <laughs> ultimate warriors that's when it started like you would think that they would be like trying to push it and it seems like as the focus went towards them the the product went down because they weren't leading why i just trying to think anything you've lurked at or studied do you see why they might not have chosen to be leaders like a like a undertaker or uh, Austin or Rock would have been
1: greed and ego.
0: <laughs> Might be the, the really the only answer that I got. Um, and it, it doesn't.
2: And it, it just. But they're. Go- but Taker and all of them had egos too. Is it just because maybe there was it was there was no leash on them? I think
0: that mixed with the fact that business was doing so good that why chains what's working for them at the time. Um, And then I think the biggest thing is they didn't have a Vince McMahon over them. Uh, Bischoff was nothing like a Vince McMahon. Um, He'll go on to tell you he's not a Vince McMahon type of guy. You know, he had only been in a, a, you know, he was in the wrestling business for a, a little while before he became the executive producer of WCW. But as far as, you know, the leading guy on camera or the leading commentator, the leading guy backstage, he was still very new to that aspect. And, it's fun to hang out and party with your buds and when business is doing great. And as long as you feel like, Hey, well, you know, as long as you show up to work, that's all that matters. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, it was just, they didn't care. It was just a lack of um, uh, leadership on, on, on all accounts, you know, whereas of course, WWE had a few of their problems as well with Michaels for sure. Pillman was another British bulldog was another Neidhart was another, Um, that they, you know, had to either release them or get them to rehab. Um, But it's still – there was some leadership to take that initiative where it got to the point of DUIs. It got to the point of arrests. It got to the point of accidents where it was finally like, okay, we should probably take you off camera in WCW to take you off camera and go to a rehab or stuff like that. So, you know, I I just – I think it was just a matter of it was Vince McMahon's company, and he owned it and oversaw it. So he has a lot more to lose versus Eric Bischoff and Ted Turner, where Turner probably could have gotten in WCW, WCW in ninety seven at its highest point, and he still would have not you know made plenty of money off of it. So lack of leadership for sure. Um, and then also you know a little quick tidbit. I mean, you look at ninety six, ninety seven even with Michaels maybe having issues and Pillman and the the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, whatever, they were still getting their butt whooped so bad <laughs> that they basically had to come together and say, listen, guys, either we're going down with this ship or we're going to go down with this ship, or if you want to be the trader to go over there and get your guaranteed contracts and get no creative greatness to you, be my guess. But we're over here, busting our butts, working 270 plus states a year, trying to be better, trying to, turn this thing around and we want to be better so a little different factors but I think mainly was just a lack of leadership and focus and um, definitely a lot of leeway in in WCW
2: yeah I, I think part of it is the ego in the sense that WCW did have a lot of the old guard so to speak and they were you know they kind of had already proven themselves flair had already had all the championships Hogan did They didn't really need to do anything to, you know, show the world that uh, we're still the best. Everybody already thought they were the best. You go to WWE or WWF at the time, you have a bunch of young guys who are dying to prove themselves. And I think that weighed in their favor, too, is because anytime I've read, and especially I read a Jericho book, the younger guys are, you know, looking towards the older guys for guidance, you know. You know, there. But as you go into WCW, it's not until 2000, 2001, we have younger guys there. And I think, like you said earlier, it's it was too late. I think they're heavy on the old guys. The old guys didn't need to prove anything anymore. And no. I think, yeah, I think WC, WWE chose right by trying to invest in new guys because they're always hungry, or at least for their you know time in the sun, they're always hungry.
0: Yeah, and they definitely use them creatively a lot better than what we, the WCW, ever did. So, um, you know, and <clears throat> that is another thing, too. It's a great point that WWE kind of took that initiative of, listen, we're going to have to get rid of all these old guys and we're going to have to build this thing ground up and and uh, see where it goes. So uh, but that's a great, you know, insight and, and, and question and to uh, you know, more of a discussion there for sure of maybe a little bit more personal side of, what happened behind the scenes, why business wasn't doing so good for one or at least why it seemed like there was a lot better leadership versus the other for sure. Um, Yeah, definitely for sure. Randall, do you have anything to add to that or anything in general you want to bring up?
1: I would say to that question, um, that was just, in my opinion, that that was the industry. It, Drugs, alcohol, pills were in every locker room. Um, I remember one listening to Kurt Angle speak one time, talking about how it was after he won the Olympics, right before he got, like, as he was getting signed, he got done with an event and said he had taken over, I think it was 43 Percocets at one time. If you've never been on Percocet, I have. I took one, and it knocked me out. Um, 43 could kill you. Um, So it's the industry. It's people who put their bodies on the line and try to ease the pain using those methods. However, I think WWE's, um, I mean, granted, their wellness policy was nowhere like it was today in the 90s. But they've always, I feel, not just in the wrestling world, but in the sports world in general, have always been leaders in trying to solve sports injury problems um, in in that term. But uh, to me, it's the industry. You you, you sort of would have been more surprised if it wasn't there than the fact that it was there. And then the fact that, you know, Ric Flair isn't really, you know, the kind of role model you want to have. Um, That's a good point. Um, That's a good point. So, I mean, I, I just feel like WWE, like Cody said, had Vince McMahon and then to sort of, you know, lay down the law. And Bischoff was more, I'll say, fair
2: on how he rolled, just come to work, do your match and leave um and i I think also it did help that you had the chairman of the company there on a daily basis on television involved in the stories involved in each one of the guy's lives kind of orchestrating everything yeah he was a puppet master yeah he was crazy he still is crazy but at least he's there every day keeping these guys you know checking in on these guys being you know friendly at least but you know Turner, I guarantee you he probably visited less than a hundred times, and that he had no need cool. to he had yeah. no need to
0: yeah, and that's that's the hardest thing to to really the best way to look at it is <clears throat> Turner looked at it as it Turner loved w c w as far as an entity he you know he kept it on television when people didn't want him to this and that um so he loved it to that aspect of that it was something he enjoyed and liked and it made money for him. So he wanted to keep it up on television. Whereas at the same time, as long as business was business, he didn't care. He didn't, like you said, I, I probably less than 50 times. He probably visited that locker room. Yeah. And, and my, my guess, maybe, maybe a little bit more, but um, nearly nothing like a Vince McMahon where he's there every day he's, like you said, he's gonna he's gonna check in on you, he's gonna make sure you're doing good, and make sure his agents are assigned to a specific second or match, make sure they're good, make sure we all come together on on for the mutual cause. And if something's not right, we need to fix it. Whereas WCW was, here's the format, here's what we're doing, here's your segment, make it work, make it happen. Um, if you need questions, you come ask me. I won't come ask you type of mentality. And it showed for sure.
2: Well, Cody, I've asked you two really difficult questions. Do you have anything for me on my opinion of WWE during this time? I think the biggest thing
0: that I excuse me I have is 1997 right as WCW was hitting its peak kicking the holy crap out of Monday Night Raw every week in the ratings. Um, based off the Montreal screw job where Vince McMahon played Bret Hart horribly. Um, and not to say that Hart was a saint in this, or that Hart, you know, they get screwed over. But at the same time, it was partially his own fault, too, for why it happened. Um, in your estimation, if you look at it from a WCW's perspective, you're watching this on television, and then you also have to factor that they're doing a documentary on the side of this, you know, the Wrestling With Shadows thing. When Hart comes into the locker room and he tells you, I had a 20-year contract with Vince, guaranteed. I was going to be a producer, have my role, but you no know, down the road when I'm done wrestling. And then he rips it away from you because business isn't doing great. Uh, screws you on national television in front of your home country. Everybody already knows you're going to WCW, but it was how you were going to get there. Um, and then four months later, we see Mike Tyson and Stone Cold Steve Austin. As, as a company like WCW, I would look at that and go, see, now that's the kind of crap that I'm glad we're not there. We didn't have to deal with that as far as not the Mike Tyson thing because, of course, you know you want that big celebrity status. But for what happened to Bret Hart, in my opinion, should have been the kill shot for WWE. It should have definitely been. That should have been the, the. sure, it was still Bret Hart. You had to let him go. It wasn't fitting to your plans, Whatever. But if you look at it from a wwe's perspective, that's our turn to capitalize on that and almost end the whole thing. Because now we've got Bret Hart. We had their biggest main star in the 80s. Now we have arguably their biggest star in the 90s, besides maybe Shawn Michaels and Taker. How, from, a, from your perspective, if you looked at it from a WWE side of things, put yourself back in that position, knowing that Shawn has got problems as well, why didn't the war end in '97? Why didn't it end, and why didn't it end not only for the heart factor, and the but the Sting-Hogan factor, the most anticipated build up almost in wrestling history? 97 probably should have been the end of the war.
2: Yeah, and it, trust me, I, I know what you're talking about, but I think it also plays into the – probably the biggest thing I hate about the Attitude Era is the uh, pushing the envelope and the uh, – Crossing as many lines as they possibly can without becoming R-rated. Sure, uh, I think Vince saw that this was bad publicity, and he saw that he was losing a good worker who was loyal to his company, and he's probably gonna lose. All, he's he knew. I think I, in my opinion, I think he knew he was gonna lose Sean soon, whether it be Sean getting injured, like he, or Sean getting fed up, um, and you've got. WCW is trying to get Taker and trying to get Austin and trying to get all of them. And I think that's when he, he pulls the rabbit out of the hat of the let's push the envelope as much as possible on television. And I, I hate it to this day because you look back and you see, okay, this is when they start ramping up the, the language and the, the, um, the crudeness and the lewdness, um, for the sake of entertainment, they saw they were not going to beat WCW in a wrestling match. And they probably weren't going to beat them in, um, like, big names, at least till 98. When you see the Austin out, and, you know, then you start going to the 90s and you have the late 99 with all the big stars that start rising up. I think they realized, well, people are going to turn to WCW for the big names. And especially the older guy, older uh, generation, we need to get that younger generation. I think that's what WCW wasn't focusing on at first. And I think that was their, their first stumbling block is they're not focusing on the young kids who are going to be wanting to look for something new to watch. And they're just, you know, you got the kids coming out of the cartoon generation and going into, you know, modern television. They need something to watch. Let's, you know, let's go with this whole, radical 90s style of pushing um, every status quo possible. And I think that was – I feel like – again, this is all opinionated as a, as a wrestling fan. I think that was Vince's last-ditch effort was let's make it so people – the family – the parents want to turn the channel and the kids want to turn the channel to it. Um, and I think that's the only reason it did not fall apart in '97 is they had the saving grace that was generation x and you had the saving grace that was the anti-establishment of austin and i think nation of domination played into it as well um and i think that's only those three things because the undercard was garbage you had barely any women wrestlers and it was mostly a hot mess up until wrestlemania 13 and then WrestleMania 14 started getting better, and then 15. Um, and I, like I said, the only reason the war did not end is because it was such a eye-catching thing. Is well, they're not going to be going to WCW to see half-naked people and dirty jokes and stuff like that. They're going to go to WWE, and it's going to be what everybody at that school or that office or that you know gym is going to be talking about is this. So I think it was he Vince was betting on well if they're not going to watch me for the wrestling and they're not going to be watching me for the specific wrestlers we're going to get them to watch with what are we going to do next? And when we do that then they're going to see Taker and Austin Rock and we're going to hook them with those.
0: <clears throat> That's definitely um definitely a good point in that and it's just it's just crazy how that timing worked out just for the sheer fact that like a true job happens. Plus the anticipation buildup of Hogan versus Sting, which drew uh, surprisingly, that was the second highest pay-per-view buy rate in WCW history. That was not the top. Um, some people may not know that. may say that's a shocker, but um, looking at on looking on that, don't look at the uh, at the Hogan Sting finish that kind of started the wheels falling off of WCB creatively. You look at that whole month of December and you're going, Man, this war's almost over. There's just no way. There's just no way that W is gonna come out of this on top. But you know, like you said, timing timing is everything and, and it definitely worked out for sure. Um Randall, do you got anything to add to that or anything you wanna add to the uh to the discussion?
1: Um I'll add that, like you said, they were extremely blessed that at the time Bret Hart was ready to leave. Rock and Stone Cold were like big names and you had you had guys who were ready to fill that spot. And so that's why I feel WWE really didn't care if Hart left. Um, and then this is just me personally where Will bashes the crudeness and the lewdness and the uh, parents aren't going to want kids to watch it so the kids I don't know about you but I was watching alongside with my family <laughs> it, uh, it was it was one of those things where I, that's what you wanted to see on TV and that was the 90s in general um, and all kind of uh, pop culture was pushing that envelope um, and so I just <laughs> find that I find that McMahon does a good job for the most part changing and adapting his company to what's popular in pop culture. Not necessarily what's popular with the hardcore wrestling fans, but what's popular with the casual fans who are going to watch three events a year in WrestleMania, maybe a couple other events. But so I feel McMahon was lucky he had Stone Cold in the Rock because they built the early
2: 2000s for him. Or else, I don't know if we would still have WWE. I, I guess my just a an aside, the reason why I hate it so much is other than the fact that I, I think it was completely useless, I think wrestling needs to be about wrestling. And yeah, there's a story to it. it, but it should always be a good guy versus a bad guy. It should always be, you know, good triumphing over evil it should never have to be okay let's spend 15 minutes about this naked person or this you know despicable thing we're gonna kind of make a joke about i think that gave birth to some of the stuff we're dealing with on the indie scene right now that i'm not going to get into that both of you know what i'm talking about (laughs) um i think it's wrestling needs to be about wrestling i think if you want to see that kind of stuff, you know where to go to get that kind of stuff. I think wrestling needs to be about creating a story of heroes and villains and um, creating a complex story about that. And that's something that WCW did pretty well. One of my favorite matches of all time is actually a WCW match between Goldberg and DDP. And it was it's just simply a um, David versus Goliath story. And yet it's told so beautifully. And... Meanwhile, you flip over to what was going on in WWE at that time and, you know, the good wrestlers are getting five minutes and the other ones are, you know, making horrible, inappropriate jokes in the ring to poor Sergeant Slaughter. Um, it's, I think it just, that's the only thing I would take away from WWE at the time is they went a route that we're, they're still paying for to this day because they're not able to deliver the, what they could deliver back then. Yeah, and I mean, I, I,
0: I could definitely see from both, both perspectives about that for sure. Um, it's like I said, at the very beginning of this, how basically Vince took the Nitro format, where in the beginning, Nitro was kind of looking for that 18 to 49 demographic, where um, you look at WWE back in those days, they still had the characters, they still had the goofiness, whereas WCW was more of a real-life thing. The hostile takeover, you know, definitely being a prime example of that. Um And then Vince saw that format and just turned it a thousand times up and basically made WWE pop culture. Like it's, it was synonymous with it. Um, whereas WCW fell back on that towards 98, late 98 for sure. And into 99. Um, and I mean, I I agree with you on, on aspects of, of, I think it should be definitely a complex story for sure. Um, you know, a David versus Goliath. It doesn't all have to be a good guy versus a bad guy. Sometimes I like to see two heels face off. Be like, listen, I don't really like you at all. I don't like you either. And it could be a heel versus heel. It could work not often. The face versus face can be a friendly matchup that you could quickly turn somebody heel for sure. Like an AJ versus Nakamura thing last year, miscellanea. But, um, <clears throat> you know, and that's... WWE definitely empl- exemplified on often, but for WWE to just do what they did at that time, it it worked and it worked well and it, and it helped them win the war ultimately.
2: Sure. So, do you mind if I have one more question? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is more playing devil's advocate, not devil advocate, but a being devil's advocate against myself. Do you think we were always kind of? live in the shadow of and kind of be doing stuff WCW did for the next couple of years or decades. What I'm talking about is every stable that ever comes to existence is always going to be compared to the NWO or the four horsemen. And you're always going to compete, be comparing having matches with, you know, small wrestlers to the cruiserweights of WCW. And anytime there's a screwy finish, it's always going to be compared to the ending of Goldberg's streak or the finger poke of doom. And, you know, you got the dusty finish, everything. It seems like anytime something happens, it's, it's comparing it to WCW or reminding people of it. Do you think we'll ever be able to say this is a definitively new idea or will it always be kind of copy paste of something that WCW did? I mean, look at it. We've got class of the champions, We've got um, the um, uh, War Games is back, um, and everything's... The Revival is a callback to the Andersons. So, do you think we'll ever be able to have something unique again, or do you think maybe the ideas that Dusty came up with in WCW and the things that happen in WCW will always be carried on, whether it be for the good or for the bad? Um... Uh, not between
0: Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, Eric Bischoff, the creative, the three best creative minds in WCW history. Uh, it, it, I unfortunately think yes. It's um, just for the sheer fact of while wow, everybody is dying for the new, brand new. Brand make a new idea. What's the best creative idea we got that, that can turn this company and turn this industry around 180 degrees? Somehow, some way it's gonna be compared to the NWO or to the Four Horsemen or to a screwy finish, whatever. Because WCW for whatever reason perfected screwy finishes because Sullivan loved to book heat. He was a booking heat type of guy, you know. Uh, if if you wanted to match that ended where there was a bunch of heat going, you go to Kevin's Hall for it. But um, but I just it, I think that's the unfair nature that that's how it's going to be because people Nexus should have worked.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: People compared to the NWO said it was a carbon copy of it, and I hated it. And people, not everybody, trashed on it. It was a it, some people definitely, and myself included, enjoyed it and loved it. But I think because Vince was like, oh, too many people, fans of the NWO, this and that, that they're not falling behind it. Um, A lot of things in wrestling fall on the what's old is new again mantra, but it seems like this generation for whatever, whatever we try to get the old is new, but try to turn it up a little bit or they do it a little bit differently, they crap all over it or they're not open to the idea. Or we say, oh, they're ripping off the NWO, they're ripping off this, they're ripping off that, the Ascension's ripping off – demolition and it's like okay but there's only so much you can do before you realize there's not much left that can be done that's not so superficially controversial or against everything a company stands for that they just not one to put themselves in that situation so that's what as I would love to see brand new ideas and I'm always open to new things I'm not always one of those people that revert back to an old WCW thing or oh that's a WCW idea they took um, you know I'm, I'm Glad the Clash of the Champions has its own thing. I'm glad Starcade has its own thing. I'm glad they brought back War Games. You know, I'm not saying oh they're just trying to make uh, money off the WCW name. Um, I, I I genuinely like those events, but it it unfortunately seems like that's probably gonna be the way it is. Do you okay?
2: This is more of a creative idea on your part, but what do you think a, a faction would have to do to stand out in comparison to the Four Horsemen or? NWO because you know the Shield got comparisons to NWO. Um, you the uh, Undisputed Era is getting compared to the Four Horsemen. What do you think is going to take? I mean, I guess in one the newest one that would be completely different would be the uh, New Day. They're just so unique, but now they're getting comparisons to the um, oh the. I can't think of the uh, Michael Hayes and uh, um... uh, Rock and Roll yeah. Express. No. Freebirds. Freebirds. Oh, Freebirds. I'm sorry. Right. No, nah,
0: thinking of 14 different tag teams going on here. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, I think the closest thing that I would have, besides what the New Day is doing, the Shield to me was the closest thing that was different. The NWO didn't always come out through the crowd. Um, they didn't wear the body armor body armor they didn't have the they had the different camera angles they had a the different the black and white but they didn't have the handheld camera where that was like a government like a cia type group that was coming to deliver justice as they said and bring justice or whatever that's like okay are these like government type officials like what is this the shield to me was the closest example of a standalone thing what takes what what does it take to stand alone and not be compared to that's definitely up to a fan's prerogative, but just doing everything if, if you if you really want to try it, look at everything the n w o did do it as differently in almost similarity as possible okay they had the black and white stuff, cut candles, cut cameras stuff like that, maybe try something different um. You know, with with uh how how they presented their group as rebellious riot type people, how could you present this group to be something a little bit different than that? Yeah, they could be dominating, but they don't have to be the we're gonna beat the crap out of the roster every single week and add fifteen thousand members within seven weeks. <laughs> um gosh
2: forbid though. And then have like five different variations.
0: Exactly. You know, um, could you imagine having like the anti-Shield versus the Shield or something like that? (laughs) That was the League of Nations, Uh, I believe. (laughs) There you go. So, um, uh, you know, it's just going to take a bunch of different ideas that maybe sometimes you just ran out and say, listen, maybe we just have to do what's old is new again. Or – try every way possible to be different and it's 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 going to take a lot to do that but
2: um and at the same time I don't think it's necessarily a horrible thing to be compared to I mean undisputed, uh, the undisputed era is being compared to the four horsemen now not necessarily in longevity but in connectedness and as a unit as a brotherhood um, Yeah, and I have no problem with that but I at the same time I'm dying for a day when wrestling is not compared to the 90s i'm dying for a day when it's its own unique thing and i can look at it and be like i don't have to th- go through comments and see people you know pining for the 80s or the 90s or saying that austin or hogan or whatever would be better i wishing they would come back I-, I i want this new era to be a new era
0: i would agree with that for sure for sure and that's Something that may take a long time to get over, but it'd be great when we look back and say, you know, I I wonder if a tag team will be as good as the revival. I wonder if a faction will be as good as the shield or the Undisputed Era, um stuff like that. Instead of saying, uh, the Undisputed Era is a great team, but they're just a carbon copy of the Four Horsemen or um anything like that. So uh, but yeah. Um Breno, you got anything to add or anything like that?
1: Um, I'll say, since that was sort of two questions, I'll sort of answer both as quickly as possible. So first off, no, I don't think we're we'll ever going to wait for it. I think partially because everything's in tried. Wrestling as a a sport, as a a thing whether when it started in the early thirties at carnivals to it is now, it's the same. It's two people putting on a match. And then when we got to the eighties and the different territories, they each had their own philosophies um, on how to tell the story. But in the end, what professional wrestling is, is two people or two teams or a triple threat putting on a story to entertain. And in terms of what it will take to be original, um I don't think I just don't think the current crop of talent we have in any promotion is as creative as you had to be in the eighties. Um, you can get by now on wrestling talent in, in the Indies. Not so much in WWE, you have to be somewhat more creative, but I also think it's more of a, a, the fans that compare it, because WWE isn't trying to compare, I think, like the biggest comparison now is Becky Lynch being compared to Stone Cold. Um, that was a fan idea that WWE is now using, um. And so I think it's more so as as the older generation of fans move move on, and these newer guys move on. Everything will always be compared to the past. It, it happens in sports. Um, I I know when LeBron James, for example, was in Miami, they all they compared that team to Michael Jordan's All Star team, and and all of that. And so yeah, it's part of nature to compare this generation to previous generations in terms of, because that's what we know of. And so in 30 years when we have a new team, it's gonna be compared to the new day or the bar or whatever team is that hot team in this generation.
0: That's definitely some great points for sure and it would be interesting to see what what, uh, what definitely takes place here in the next few years, especially with the new generations coming up and, and new talents coming over and stuff like that. But we can all agree on definitely that the Monday Night War definitely is going to play the biggest part of the, uh, the wrestling history for uh, definitely for maybe the history of professional wrestling foreseeable future for sure. Um, with the new companies starting up with all elite wrestling, maybe a new war starts if it 's done on Tuesdays, maybe something else happens but um I think we can all agree that this is uh definitely a topic that we could spend hours on for sure um and just digest talk about every single thing in the world about it but uh definitely was if not the best time in wrestling um definitely one of the highest points in the history of professional wrestling, for sure. Um. anybody else got anything last thing to add or anything like that?
2: Nothing that could be summed up in five minutes or less. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um. Redo, I appreciate you once again. Definitely being kind of the moderator for most of this, and and, and definitely bringing a lot of great points to the table for sure. Um. Will for sure for for um bringing a great. Uh, insight to not just WB, but an all-around general perspective onto it. It was really fun to do this and really great. Um, and a great news for anybody that's listening to this, we're not done. We got another discussion that our boy, Will the Thrill, came up with. And uh, definitely one that I think will be nothing like this. Maybe the beginning it will, but I think it can get very intense very quickly. Um It's the history of the Bullet Club and New Japan Pro Wrestling versus WWE uh, aspect of either the faction or as a whole, and that's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, interesting topic that um, even if you're not a fan of of Bullet Club or New Japan and you haven't seen them or heard much of them, you may not even need to (laughs) because we'll, I'm sure we'll break down most of the historical context of it and. Debate all about that. So, and we'll hopefully get Randall to maybe moderate a little bit of that as well. Maybe give his more of a, his opinion and takes about that. Um, so, be sure to keep an eye on some of the major platforms on social media, whether it's beyond the curtain on Facebook, um, Outlaw Sports Network, um, Unhinged on Facebook as well, or just uh, stay tuned to here, and we'll keep you guys updated. Um, but yeah, so once again, thank you guys both for, for doing this and uh, hope everybody had a great time for doing this for sure. All right, guys, so I want to thank Will and Randall again for coming along and and joining me on this project and doing this podcast with me recording this with me with Randall being a moderator as well as will giving his wwf wwe side of things and for collaborating with us and uh, uh just making this podcast happen so appreciate to those two good brothers hashtag good brothers for um will's gonna hate me using that hashtag, but I don't care, for uh, helping me out on this episode and, and just getting the ball rolling with a few different ideas, and as you guys heard at the very end of that episode, and I'll reiterate this again, I told you at the beginning of this, and I was a long episode, I apologize for that, but I thank you guys for sticking with me getting to the end of this here, if you guys heard, at the very end of that, there's another big project that Will and I are going to be working on and doing in the coming weeks, that's the debate regarding the Bull Club in New Japan Pro Wrestling versus WWE. Will hates the idea, the faction that is, was the Bullet Club. He hates it. I, of course, am an advocate, fan of Bullet Club, have been for years. So you guys are gonna enjoy that. This is gonna be an intense, awesome debate this ain't gonna be no discussion no back and forth kind of being gentleman like this is going to be an all-out brawl from beginning to end even if you guys don't know much about the Bullet Club the history behind it or don't follow much of New New Japan Pro Wrestling or Bullet Club um, things regarding it trust me yeah I don't even care if you go to YouTube and type in the history of Bullet Club where uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling came out with a like four-part series on the history of the Bullet Club that are only like eight minutes long each, so it's taking 32 minutes out of your day just to learn a little bit of the history of the Bullet Club, you got to do it. Even if you don't do it and you completely avoid that and you guys come in with to this podcast fresh, unaware of what has happened with New Japan Pro Wrestling and Bullet Club, you are going to want to listen to this. I guarantee you, you're going to get your free money's worth, your free 99 money's worth of, of just listening to this podcast. So, um, I'm excited for that. That's going to be coming in the next coming weeks, guys. There's plenty to talk about though. Um, and like I said, at the beginning of this episode, I'll probably record a few solo shows. Um, kind of get my thoughts on <clears throat> maybe a little bit of Wrestle Kingdom, maybe get my thoughts on the Royal Rumble, the road to WrestleMania, as well as, um, the news of AEW, All Elite Wrestling, I'm filling in, filling in some of the press conference they had in Las Vegas a couple days ago. So that's going to be interesting and awesome to see as well. Or here, um, I am going to SmackDown on the 26th of this month of February in Charlotte. So this will be the second time that I've been to a WWE show on the Road WrestleMania. My first one was my first ever, or not my second, excuse me, second ever WWE show, which was SmackDown in March of 2004. That oddly enough was the go-home show to WrestleMania 20, where Austin showed up, Brock Lesnar showed up, Um, that was an awesome episode, I got to go backstage, I got to meet Stone Cold, me and a group of kids, got to meet him, Earl Hebner, Um, Stone Cold signed an autograph for me, personalized it with my name on it, get to take a picture with him, a group photo with him, Um, the truck that he, I don't know if he drove out on that show, but there's a truck that Austin used to drive out to in either 0-3 or 4 Definitely 0-4, but I'm not sure if he used to say 0-3. But either way, took a picture with that. Got to go behind this set of SmackDown, kind of look at that. Um, really cool experience. I was third row from the ring off camera, so I didn't get to be on camera. But that was still pretty cool best experience uh, as a kid that I had growing up and watching that. <clears throat> Got to see the WrestleMania 20 sign, but this is going to be cool always fun to see the sign so you, you of course you got to get your picture taken uh, to where the sign is showing so that'll be cool and you guys uh may give my thoughts and opinions about that and things of that nature but biggest thing of course guys is in a couple weeks we're going to be recording and uploading the bullet club versus wwe new japan versus wwe podcast with me and will that you're not gonna want to miss i guarantee you that so once again thanks to will and randall for for coming and helping me out with that podcast. Thanks to you guys for getting through this long podcast. Um, usually my podcast in this setting, in this mantra, in this title, in this name has not gone over more than 45 minutes. So it's rare, but it's hopefully worth your time. Hopefully it was worth every single second that you listen to it. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Once again, give me feedback, guys. It's very critical for me to just give you something you'll enjoy listening to. I don't care what it is, good feedback, negative feedback, feedback is feedback. So once again, you can like us on Facebook at Beyond the Curtain Wrestling Podcast. You can like us there. You can follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Curtain. And remember, there is no O in Beyond. So it's Beyond the Curtain without the O in Beyond. Um, You can follow us on Spotify where this podcast will be up here. Anchor, if you have the Anchor app, this is on here as well. Stitcher has it, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. So um, I'll make sure to post the links on our social media pages for every single one of these. So if you don't have the Anchor app and you can't listen to it there, I'll make sure there are ways for you guys to be able to listen to this. So that way you can share this with your friends, share this with everybody, wrestling group pages all over the world. And uh, just hopefully get the name out there and there's something that people can listen to as a side thing. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this. I appreciate everything. Uh, about you guys for sticking with me through this month and a half hiatus and for Will and Randall to have me out on this podcast. So until then, guys, I am Cody. Appreciate your time. And we will see you guys around the corner on the other side of the curtain.